Welcome to the Unnecessary Statness Podcast, brought to you by the team from Useless AFL Stats Facebook page, bringing you the AFL's weird, bizarre, and totally irrelevant stats you never asked for and never knew you needed, with Liam Crowey Crowhurst, Bill the Bulldog Skelton, and Aaron Della Delaporte. We're here. We've finally got a podcast together. We've been talking about it for a while. It's going to be great. The 40-odd thousand people on Facebook are going to be loving this. Hey, it's it's more like 53. But who's counting, yep, right? To get the stats right to start with. And we haven't banned anyone yet. No, no bans on our Facebook page. I think it's going to be a first for a Facebook page with 50,000, surely. We wouldn't have the 50 if we banned 10,000 of them. So we're keen to have everyone on. No questions are too stupid for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even the St Kilda supporters. We hey, don't them. we're sledging St Kilda already, are we? All right, so <laughs> I thought what we probably should do, a lot of people won't know us and we probably don't know each other so much yet. This is like the third or fourth time I've spoken to Liam and probably only the first or second I've spoken to you, Bill. We sort of came together via the, the internet and our love for uh, useless stats. But I thought in the uh, interests of full disclosure, because we're already bagged St Kilda, uh, we might go around the table and uh, share a bit of our own personal uh, football experience, what we've done as a footy player, and also um, who we barrack for. For those listening, I'm Della. Some people call me Aaron, mostly my mother, but not many others. I'm the founder of the page, started it way back in 2019, and then uh, obviously Liam and, and Bill have come along, and Rowan Muscles, who's off becoming a pilot, helping us out occasionally. So my footy experience was pretty brief. Um, I played juniors. I was okay, I suppose. As a player, I went to the Subiaco Colts, I'm over in, over in Perth, um, invited to go there. I think there was like 50 guys and uh, we came down for like an info session and then we had to go away and uh, train and then we had to come back for like a 3k time trial I think it was. Anyway on the uh, the day of the time trial was in an afternoon and uh, for lunch I think I ate seven hot dogs and that didn't help my uh, time trial run. I think I might have actually beaten a ruckman or someone else then I had one more training session and I was like yeah there's 50 guys I think I'm like 48th so uh, that was the end of me for any professional footy experience and then I um, played one game of C-grade amateurs in which I got knocked out and I think we finished with like 14 players on the field and I was like nah I'm not playing amateurs (laughs) I'll see you down the pub next week boys that's that was it for me people do say um, we occasionally put up stats and people go oh he's a Melbourne supporter the admin must be a melbourne supporter but i'm actually a long-suffering dockers supporter so so there you go i might hand over to you bill i think the best way to describe my footballing ability is that i I grew up playing cricket (laughs) um a very very unconvincing schoolboy footy player that was sort of named on the bench and, and spent most of my time there i lacked the courage required to win the ball i lacked the fitness to get to the contest if i accidentally got the ball i i lacked the skills to do anything with it i sort of realized early on that i'm probably better off watching football and looking at the stats and these days i do a bit of work with the geelong falcons in the nab league doing the numbers for them yeah so i've never really contributed on the field ever monday through friday observer of the sport rather than a weekend player and i'm a cats fan for those that want to keep track Bit of a cat's tragic, named after Billy Brownless. Yes. Amazing. <laughs> Liam, uh, let's, yes. have, let's have your yes. footy experience. Yeah, so I, uh, I grew up playing AFL in, in Perth, and then our family moved to Brisbane, and that's where I've been ever since. So born in Melbourne, 
lived in Sydney, lived in Perth, lived in Brisbane now currently, been all over the place. And playing AFL in Perth versus playing AFL in Brisbane is worlds apart. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think uh, anyone knew what AFL was until I rocked up to my primary school. So that was certainly a shock. Got to play for the local team, the Sherwood Magpies, made it up to under 18s. I realized, oh, I'm probably better off, you know, doing the stats. I was much more academic during high school. And that's kind of where, where I fit into all this. I like working with numbers. Uh, I've got a mathematics degree and I just like put my degree to good use with use of CFL stats. Yeah, so Liam's the real stat man. I'm just the uh, guy that comes up with stupid ideas from time to time. Exactly. Yeah, so I'm six foot two. And then as a six foot under 18 player, they put me in the ruck and they realized that I just couldn't jump. (laughs) So I reckon I could get about a foot off the ground. So they're like, okay, we're going to put you at full back and use my long levers to kick the ball 40 meters out of the square. So that was my role as an AFL player. I basically sat the box off the, off my opponent coming in and just using my fist. Um, I'd say that's that's my main skill set. I was just reminded of a, a story. My mum, uh, when I grew up, she got into an argument with my junior coach after I did not win the most consistent player award. My mum's perspective was that Considering I didn't touch the ball once, I therefore had the least amount of variance and was therefore the most consistent player getting zero disposals. Amazing. St- yeah, so statistically correct. That, that, that exactly is amazing. right. Um, so I still feel a bit robbed that the trophy cabinet's uh, exactly. still a bit empty. The trophy cabinet for myself is pretty empty. The only grand final I ever played in, under 18, Div 1 in Brisbane. Yeah, we ended up losing that and then... That was my final game. So I, it turns out I ended up and ended on a loss, which is uh, probably not the way to go. But there's, there's been some been AFL since. There's been some AFL players bow out in losing grand finals. So uh, mm-hmm, you're mm-hmm. probably um, rivaling some of them. All right. So we might move on to the highlights of the round. Uh, Gary Rowan's winning goal. Now, Bill, you're a you're a Geelong supporter. So you've probably watched this a few times. I'd I'd guess. Yeah, I've, I've watched it a few times. Um, I watched a few fan replays, different angles, people watching it in TV, going bananas. Forced my wife to watch it a few times. Um, it's had a fair run, and it, it did make me go back through the sort of annals of Geelong history, back to Peter Riccardi versus Carlton after the siren. So I haven't done much since the game um, other than that. <laughs> Actually, Geelong's got a pretty good run of kicking goals after the siren. We had, um, of course, Billy Brownless, the king of Geelong. Um, I think Tom Hawkins has kicked one off the siren, um, Peter Accardi, and I think maybe Zach. Zach Tui against Melbourne. Yes, Zach um, Tui. Hawkins against memory. Hawthorne. Um, mm-hmm. There was an opportunity for Harry Taylor to kick a goal after the siren to beat the Bulldogs, and he missed a bit of sort of a break-even point for that Gary Rowan goal. I think Tom Hawkins kicked a point to draw a game as well. My well I think that might, have been, that might have been Jimmy Bartell against Hawthorne. Anyway, they're good at the last... The close finishes, Geelong, for sure. I was having a little troll through social media. I did see a uh, Don't Mess With a Zohan parody for uh, Gary Rohan. Have you guys watched it? Don't Mess With it. a Zohan. I, 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 do, I do know the actors, but I've actually, never actually got around to watching it. It's an, uh, it's an Adam Sandler one. It's probably not one of his best ones. He's like an Israeli spy or something, and he comes to America. He's retiring from being a spy or a secret agent. He, he wants to get a job in a hairdresser's as a stylist, and his quote is, I'm going to make the whole world silky smooth. 
which I, I think is a good fit for uh, Gary Rowan because he's a pretty silky smooth player. I was fit. wondering where you're going with that. You brought that home somehow. Very <laughs> impressive. I didn't mention the uh, one of the funnier bits in the movie is that he makes the hairdresser business very successful by not only cutting the older lady's hair but also um, taking him into the back room and um, giving them a bit of an extra service, so to speak. I don't think Gary Rowan does that around the cats, but um, I've heard some rumours around the place. But um, seeing as we're just sticking to useless stats, we, we won't go too far into that. However, I did see, um, and we managed to capture this, and we sent it out into the, the wide world of Facebook, that uh, the cats have got a pretty impressive home record. Was this one of your stats you put up, Bill? Yeah, Channel 7 astutely observed that Geelong has won, I believe, uh, it was 31 of their last 23 games. Not sure which Channel 7 analyst pulled that one out, but I believe the it was a typo, and it was actually 31 of the last 33 games. But maybe they know something we don't. I was going to say, I mean, I've, I've made a few cock-ups with posts and things like that, and uh, typos, but that, that was a... That was a great one. The Bulldogs did pretty well. I obviously never saw the stat, but that was it would have been a bit intimidatory to see that if you were just about to start a game and you see that uh, the home teams won like 140% of their, their games at home. I've got a, I've got a little um, side Facebook group and we like sending each other uh, snippets of errors on, on AFL-related websites. If anyone wants to go have a look, the AFL Fantasy, the Traders... Their write-up this morning was that Tom Mitchell had 36 tackles and also eight tackles. 44 tackles would have been amazing. It was just a typo. Toby Green's huge torp. That was another another talking point of the round. It's pretty impressive. Did you guys guys catch that one? I did manage to catch that one live. I was wondering, okay, Toby's a bit out of his range here, surely. And then I see the grip on that ball change. I see him go through the motion. He's got the grip on the ball. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, he's going to do it. He's going to torp it. I'm not really much of a Toby Green fan myself. He's, he's a player you love to hate. But ever since he did that torp, my, my opinion's changed. I absolutely think he's now an absolute legend of the game. And there's nothing you can do to convince me otherwise. I think a couple more suspensions and maybe, okay, he's not that good. But after that torp, it's, it was ridiculous. One of, the, one of the kicks of the season. We did a post about torps before. I can't remember where that would fit in the scheme of things. I think it'd have to be in the top maybe 20 of uh, huge torps. 67.7 metres. Yeah. Impressive. Huge one. I've had my eye on Toby this year. No one has averaged 20 or more disposals whilst also kicking two or more goals um, since the year 2011. Um, So it's been a 10-year drought of players achieving that and Toby Green is is currently averaging uh, 19 disposals and two and a half goals. So he's our best current option to to break that drought. The he, last player to do it was Steve Johnson for the Cats in 2011. And he went over to GWS too. Maybe he's he did and, and probably mentored Toby and, and and told him about that mm-hmm. margin. Um, Stevie J managed it twice, and the all-time record holder for the most seasons is of course Lee Matthews. Never saw mm-hmm. Lee Matthews play, but I heard he was pretty awesome. Toby's one of my favourite players too. A guy who can kick a huge torp, four goals, get reported, bump into the umpire accidentally, supposedly, <laughs> accidentally punch a guy in the guts. I mean, that's... Karate kick in a marking contest. Yeah, they called Jake Stringer the package, and he had a great game, but I think Toby's a, uh, he's a different sort of a package. 
different sort of package. <laughs> 182 centimetres. He's also managed 10 hitouts in his career, but he's in a five-year drought of hitouts at the moment. So I'm hoping that Toby Green can, can get a hit out this season as well at some point. Speaking of offences, I saw uh, Joel Selwood got two fines for two first offences, which is rather rare. But I, I actually had it explained to me how he got two first offences, and um, it wasn't as useless as I thought. So apparently... If you commit an offence in a game and then commit a second one, you don't know that you're going to be charged for the first one. So therefore, the second one becomes also your first one. So in theory, you could commit 10 offences and they all become your first offence because you don't know whether you're going to get charged or not for the other nine. Does that have to do with the umpire coming up to you and saying you're on report? Is that when it changes? I have no idea. But the only thing I've learned out of that is that if you do something in, say, like the first 10 minutes of a quarter and you feel like, oh, I might get, I might get done for that, um, then you might as well just go for it for the rest of the, rest of the game because <laughs> they're all going to be first offences anyway. But uh, no, the players aren't like that. I'm sure uh, Joel just had a bit of a brain fade. I don't think Joel Selwood has ever been accused of manipulating the rules before, so... <laughs> Clearly is a first offence. Exactly. Another uh, stat that came out of the weekend was Jared Lyons for Brisbane. This one got brought to our attention through through the messages. Uh, lots of stats, but no score involvements. I think you worked that one out, Liam. Score involvements have been in the database since 2012, thanks to the people at Freisig and uh, Fitzroy for putting that together. 36 touches with no score involvements. Now, I believe score involvements is when you have a, a disposal or a, a possession in a chain that directly results in a score, so a goal or a behind. And Jared Lyons had none of them. So it's either every single disposal he gave was actually you know, a 50-meter kick to nobody or it was a hand pass that went backwards to someone that went to a contested possession or, or a turnover or a free against. So truly extraordinary how you can have 36 disposals and not be involved in a chain that scores a goal. I believe score involvement also includes chains that result in a behind. Yes, um, yes, yes, that yeah, is true. So he managed to somehow not set up a single chain that led even to a miss whilst <laughs> having 36 disposals. I wonder, I wonder if any of them were out in the fools. Maybe there was one there where someone let him down completely. Maybe, maybe. I think Hip would maybe skyed a couple of them uh, up front. So, yeah, yeah, maybe that was it to check the tapes. But yeah, and so rightly cool. deserving of the uh, of a new AFL record. We might have to come up with a name for that record. Some people were suggesting Tom Mitchell was surprisingly not on the or not on the list, but um, he's seemingly more effective than he than he looked. Anyway, let's move along, boys. Uh, I've got deep dive written on my on my run sheet here. And that one's yours, Bill. You want to take it away? You initially asked me to look into players who had the name Poo in their name, sorry, the P-O-O in their name. And <laughs> I did just that, but couldn't find anything worthwhile discussing. There's a couple of players, Ted Poole, Alan Poor, but one did jump out as interesting potentially as Dick Poole. Um, Dick Poole played one game for Collingwood in 1897. Essentially, nothing is known of Dick Poole. Um, he died in the 30s and as I was doing some research on him I was in on Wikipedia and it's effectively a one sentence article but but somehow it's been edited 14 times since 2014 and 2020 so look I'd love to speak to who's out there editing the Wikipedia article of Dick Poole 14 times 
Um, I think Gary Rowan's a, Wikipedia page got edited about 14 times in 30 <laughs> seconds after that goal. Yes, all by me saying that he's the greatest forward in the league at the moment. And <laughs> apparently I, I didn't provide a source, so those those were retracted. But yeah, Dick Poole, probably the most interesting player I could find with the letters P-O-O in a sequential order. Yeah, I think um, um, I may have looked into this before. We go a bit lowbrow occasionally on, on the useless AFL stats page. Some time back, you get stuck into some wormholes sometimes when you're, when you're going on a bit of a useless AFL stats search. And I'm not sure how I got there, but I ended up on a page. And feel free to uh, Google this if, you want, if, you're, if you're listening in and you want to check this out more. But um, there's a whole article, and it's, and it's quite lengthy. It'd probably take you 10 minutes to get through it. And it's, it's got a lot of scientific facts about it. It revolves around who would have the biggest poo out of King Kong and Godzilla. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the movie that came out recently, Kong versus Godzilla. But yeah, that whole article was about that. What I took out of it was that King Kong's poo would be about 3.2 tonnes, I think it was. I tried to weave that into a stat, but I looked up the entire Collingwood squad's weight and it was way less than 3.2 tonnes. So they don't equal, they don't even come close to um, a King Kong turd. And um, apparently Godzilla being a lizard would have like a really long and slimy turd. So that didn't really come come up with anything for me either so i passed on that but worth if you've got 10 or 15 minutes to kill one day go go check that out i better go back to you bill because i don't think we've even got close to what you're going to be talking about yeah so i, I did pivot after that investigation into dick pool into into a new deep dive and and what i looked at was you know a lot of awards go out to the best players and we often talk about underperforming low players but there's the sort of great forgotten middle the sort of week in, week out, average performers that are never on the best players, but they never get dropped and they just perform to a very mediocre level for years at a time. Yeah, um, I, I heard one of the boys in here refer to them as uh, list cloggers. But, um, <laughs> given given our uh, past AFL experiences, well, our, our lack of ability combined. <laughs> I think your list clogger doesn't get selected, but these people are playing. So I'm not sure what really what these players are, but I'll just quickly run you through the methodology perhaps um, in brief. But since 1987, we've got some data for kicks, marks, handballs, goals and tackles. And I did want to go AFL era for this so that the new fancier stats of defensive half pressure acts and whatnot were outside the scope of this. And essentially, I looked at what the average performance was over that period of time. And it's quite a weighty sort of sample size, a couple of 100,000 games by individuals across that period. And Basically, nine kicks, six handballs, four marks, one goal, and two tackles um, okay. so is a, your average performance across that period. We could call that the perfect average game, I suppose. Yeah, it's the most average game you could play. It's a perfect game um, for me here. And I then looked at players' career averages and, and tried to narrow down on who most closely aligns with those base mark lines. The the elite average player. Yes, and I did, I did chop out players who had only played a handful of games and I thought I'd just quickly go through some observations and, and tell you who the most average player in the AFL era is and it's Ben Ainsworth um, okay. of the Gold Coast Suns. It, it's, it's fitting. He plays for a bang-on-average club. He does. Actually, uh, I think they're below average. <laughs> if you look at, if you look at generous, his marks, actually. Yeah, you're right. Um, he's taken 3.9 marks compared to the 3.8 average 5.8 handballs to the 6.1 average, 0.7 goals. The AFL average is 0.6. Eight and a half tackles a game. He, he gets the average is nine. 
2.4 tackles to the 2.1. This guy's bang on average across all these stats so far in his career. There's a couple of surprising players in the top 10. Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody comes in at ninth. Jake Melksham um, has played 195 games and is third on the all-time most average list. He would be he would be one I could have nearly guessed. Yeah, it's um, pretty impressive that he's nearly 200 games and, and maintained that average pace. You'd, you'd think he'd improve or, or be delisted, but he's, he's, he's done it for a long time. I then flip the list and, you know, you can sort from low to high or from high to low and these sorts of things. And looking at the, the least average players, basically here we've got big, tall forwards. These, these players get more kicks than average. They take more marks than average. They do not handball. They never tackle and they kick a lot of goals and, the top 10 for the least average, you've got Tony Lockett, Gary Ablett Senior, Jason Dunstall. So these are the types of players that are the furthest from average, but the absolute furthest from average that I could find was Matthew Richardson is the least average player in the history of the game. It does seem fairly fitting that he, he is, and um, so I was quite happy to find that. Oh, I'm Looking sure at, he'll be happy about that, for, no doubt. He will be. Um, and look, he's done it in the right way. He's just kicked a lot of goals and he takes a lot of marks. I noticed you didn't um, have behinds in your stats, so that could have been the one area he was maybe <laughs> average on. Well, I think he'd be a long way from average. He kicked a lot of behinds. So, oh, he's above um, average behind kicker too. Looking at just this year, though, Cade Chandler, unfortunately, is, is the least average player. But unlike Matthew Richardson, who did it by uh, having some impressive stats, Cade Chandler is, is averaging... No marks, um, 0.2 kicks per game, hasn't kicked a goal. So unfortunately for Cade Chandler, he's currently got the mantle as the least average, and Mark Murphy is the most average so far in 2021. Oh, he's so average, he got dropped from Carlton's team. Yes. Which yeah, is a bit he's, sad for he's, someone coming special. up to 300. Hopefully yeah. he can get there. There's a few elite average players potentially coming up for 300. Nathan Jones, him and, him and Nathan Jones, long time playing in poor teams, so... I was glad to see Nathan Jones get there, and I hope, I hope Murphy gets there too. Nathan Jones was clipping at the heels of the record of the most losses ever by an AFL player. Unfortunately, Melbourne has sort of forgotten how to lose this year. And yeah, they're letting him down big time. They, they really are. He's, he's just he's second all time on um, a very difficult to break record, and he's just stalled, unfortunately. So you're hoping he can get some progress, um, hopefully in the finals. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for that one. Very good. I'm a bit disappointed you didn't have more poo players, but um, you sort of picked it up there with the elite, the elite average players. And I'm I'm quite pleased to hear uh, that Richo's the furthest from average we can get. All right, so we're going to go into the uh, the Mo votes, the Brown Mo, named after Robert Dipianomenico, one of the greatest Mo wearers there was. I went down one of my wormholes again and saw some of his early games. He didn't have the Mo. He didn't start off with the Mo, uh, which was surprising because I thought he was pretty much came out of the birth canal with the Mo. But um, <laughs> no, nah, he, he didn't. But a few a few of the young guys are kicking the Mo's, so they're coming straight in. I think that's um, that's a testament to the to the age we live in that these young guys are taking the Mo on. I mean, I could I probably couldn't grow one when I was eighteen. But uh, but well done to them. So I'll go through the Mo votes for uh, for the round and um, every time we sort of put these out we get the question uh, what happens when someone loses their mo through the year or they shave it off I always come back with the, the correct answer which is uh, of course they become ineligible and uh, we look down on them with great disdain because shaving off the mo is, is not 
acceptable, especially for this award, because that's what it's all about. It's basically equivalent to like a suspension, like a week suspension. You're out, you're out of the brown low, shave off your mustache. That's, that's it. That's it for you. Yes. Could, I, could I qualify or ask a qualifying question? Is it strictly the best performances by players who have a mustache or are you able to sort of get more votes in this award by a good performance but also a good mustache? Well, I'll let you in on a little secret, Bill. If, if I can't split them, I use the Mo <laughs> to split them. So, I like um, that, yep. Sort of a countback type policy. Yeah, well, Tom Stewart. In event of a draw. Yeah, yep. Tom Stewart, who um, he's taken a while to get up the leaderboard, and that's because his mo is not the best. I think it's more to do with his hair colour because those light brown wispy ones, they don't really stand out like the deep black ones. In the way that the Brownlow is a midfielder's award, that the brown mo is a brunette's award. Yes. Although if you're good enough, you can overcome it, sort of like. Tony Lockett went in the Brownlow and some Ruckman have bobbed up occasionally. But, yeah, if you're good enough, you can do it. The other, the other thing is if they do shave it off, they're not disqualified for life or for the entire season. They can still grow it back. And we have seen some players start with a mow and then let it go and then bring it back. Not sure why why, why you would let it go, but they, ha- they do. And um, we've seen some players bring it on. I think they've got wind of this award. Um, I noticed Jack Steele's cultivating one he's he's done pretty well with it and he, he picked up some votes uh, last week so maybe he he's a late late bloomer but i'll quickly run through the the votes this week and before i do i, I will say that one of my uh, life goals it's important to have life goals with everything you do and uh, most of mine are inconsequential ones but they give me great pride if i come through with this is um to get uh, robert dippy and Amanico to come on the show one week and actually give give some brownway votes out that would be uh, a real honor if we could if we could get that so if anyone's out there is close personal friends with dipper um, or knows Dipper, or knows his manager, or has got some connection, knows a third cousin or something. Filter word through. We want to get him on the end of the on the on the podcast by the end of the year. We've got a few rounds to do it, so that'd be um, amazing. Yes. Um, what do you think of someone like a, a Jason Ackermanis style, where they have the blonde hair and then the black brunette mustache? How would that go down in the voting? See, I think he was a bit of a goatee, goatee. Yes, uh, he did have the. Ackermanis. It was a mustache goatee combo. Yeah, well, I, I won't go through every rule and reg in the voting. It's various rules mm-hmm. and regs mm-hmm. in there. But... The laws of voting and all that, yeah. It's a yeah, yeah, set yeah. book, yeah. Yep. Lots um, of reading. That's, so one know, of the... that's on page seven of the rules, sort mm-hmm. of the goatee. Yeah. Um, it needs to be a more moustache-focused goatee than the sort of beneath the bottom lip focus. So yeah, yeah. you'd have to really get the measurements out and, mm-hmm. and do some analysis. Well, well there is a clear-cut way you can, you can um, decide whether it counts or it doesn't. And that's if um, the chin stubble joins to the moustache stubble or the growth. If there's joining between those two, it's clearly a goatee and not a moustache. If, if there's, there's daylight between the two? Yes, yes. Okay. It's, it's like um, arc technology. You need to be able to see daylight. Mm-hmm, and um, mm-hmm. if we're not sure, we I often zoom in. I put a 250-degree zoom in. But quickly, the votes. So I've given five to Tom Stewart. Um, Rowan may have got the glory, but uh, Stewart took the personal satisfaction of of stopping uh, the Bulldogs. I think he had 15 intercept possessions and 10 intercept marks, so that was huge from him. I was campaigning for my boy before the round started to get votes, so I'm very happy he's got the five. Yeah, that moves him right into contention now. He's he's right up the butts of Liberatore, who will get some votes shortly. Uh, four votes. Uh, I love seeing this guy back in 
back in action is the big boy uh, Scott Draper. And, um, oh, man, he's got the rudest haircut I've seen on a footy field for a while, but um, he, he kept the mo, which was great. It was a good game by him for a return. I think he had nine clearances, 18 hitouts, and I don't know if you caught this one, but he... <laughs> He booted the ball off the ground straight into Liam Shields' face at, uh, at one of the clearances. I don't, I don't I know if that counted. That. I think that might count as a as a stat, but it's it should should count for more. Could it possibly count as a score involvement if it if it does go your way after that? Yeah, I, th- I think it did go back towards Essendon's possession. But anyway, maybe it was an effective disposal in that it uh, hit Shields and also went to Essendon. He's getting into the spirit of the uh, the European. The European Cup, the Euros, you know, <laughs> the big big soccer tournament. It's good to see. All right, and my three went to uh, Liberatore, real junkyard dog liver. I love him. I love watching him. I like how he gets in there. The ball hits the ground. He's he's like onto it like a chip on a seagull. Sorry, a seagull on a chip. Wrong way around there. Uh, 30 disposals, 11 clearances, 8 tackles. That puts him in the lead now, I believe. Two votes, another another big wild man, Ruckman, Scott Lysett. He's, and you wouldn't want to meet him in a dark alley. He didn't have as good a game as the first three. The first three were pretty, pretty clear cut. Um, the one thing I found doing these votes for the Brownlow, you can uh, struggle to separate players' performances, especially trying to work out the worth of a Ruckman compared to an in and under like a Libra and then a... You know, a forward like a Taylor Walker kicks five or six. It's It can be hard sometimes, but two for him. He had 22 hitouts, three clearances, four marks, 17 disposals, and a goal. Good win by the power over a lacklustre opposition. Uh, and then one vote, I'm giving it to Matty Flynn. It was actually Flynn's first win uh, without Mummy in the team. He, he He's only had two wins, but... They had that thing going GWS where Mummy would play and uh, they'd win and then Flynn would come in and they'd, they'd lose. But um, he's broken the, the curse of the Mummy. Uh, some blokes take 40 years to get away with from, from their Mummy, but he's he's done a bit earlier than that, so good on him. He's probably had better games. He only had the 10 disposals, but it, they were at 100% and he had some good clunks. He's got a good set of hands, Flynn. So um, one vote. I think that's the least disposals for a Brownlow vote. We've got a, we've got a bit of a ward with a real... Brownlow, we have the, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember the guy's name, the Carlton player, who had three disposals and got a Brownlow vote. It was pretty amazing. But uh, that's the least amount of disposals for a Brownlow Brown vote. Honourable mentions, I always give these out because people get upset when their players don't get votes. It's not surprising. But uh, Zach Tui, Alex Sexton and Peter Adams there bit of a slim round with only five games so there there we go that's the votes boys yeah it's 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 one of the only awards that defenders can win so it is good to see representation um every week from some defenders yeah famously left out of every other award so it's good that we're actually sort of providing a public service i probably should go through the uh the leaderboard but i don't have it in front of me but i'm pretty sure our liver's on top Maybe Stewart's in second or Jakey Lever. He's up there. Bailey Dale was a little bit off the pace. I think Jake Lloyd's a bit too far back. I've been a bit harsh on Lloyd, but um, he's still got plenty of plenty of rounds to come through. The mailbag, Liam. Well, we might hand yes. over to you. You're yes, good. definitely. You're so good with the, the mailbag. Here at Used to Say Phil Stats, we get messages every single day, uh, <laughs> ranging it. from the absolutely stupid questions to the absolutely brilliant and everything in between. And we try our best to uh, 
to come back with some answers. And if they're good enough, they go up on the page. And there's just a couple I'd like to highlight for you today. Um, <clears throat> so we've got a question from Daniel here. How often has a team played each other consecutively on the same date of a month? So that goes to Richmond and Melbourne played each other in five consecutive games on the 24th of April between 2015 to 2019. They didn't play each other anywhere in between there, mainly because Richmond would go on to play finals and Melbourne wouldn't. <laughs> and they would never have to play each other again. They'd play each other once and never again. What are your thoughts on that, Aaron? Totally useless and obscure. What date was Early, it again? That's the 24th of April. 24th of April. Two wow. days before my wife's birthday. I just better give her a quick shout out there because I, I did forget her birthday deep into our relationship. So I just want to highlight to Katie if she's listening that I know it's on the 26th of April. Brilliant. <laughs> Within the same season, playing on the same day of a month in the same season, it's happened 344 times. Most recently, it was Collingwood versus Melbourne in 2019. They both played each other on the 10th of June and the 10th of August. So good on them. That didn't happen in 2020 with the shortened season. There was less chance, but that's a very uh, useless stat nonetheless. Yeah, a real useless one. We might, we might have to weave that into something one time. I must say it's good to get plenty of messages. Unfortunately, sometimes we do get the same one like 30 times after something happens. I don't want to put uh, people off messaging us, but if something real obvious has happened, we're generally across it. Yeah. Uh, a, a truly amazing stat that was picked up by this player named Muz, Muz Maju. Thanks for sending this in. Uh, during the Cats vs Geelong game, at 10-10 in the fourth quarter, the score was 10-10 to 10-10. Actually, I was watching that game, and the score was also 8-8 to 8-8, and I think it might have been 9-9 to 9-9, or, or it could have um, been 11-11 to 11-11. Yeah, so there you go, 10-10 to 10-10 at 10-10 in the fourth quarter. There is a database out there that has play-by-plays and also for the score line, so maybe a bit of a project could be to... Dissect that the... data and find out if something like this has happened before. Yeah, I could get on the KO and check that Geelong one out. We do get a lot of people asking, and I'm not sure how they think we're going to be uh, able to come up with these stats, but things like stats around tats, I, I have no idea how they think we're going to know about how many teams have players with tattoos. I'm sure there's a few players with sneaky tattoos that you can't see. Like I've heard it's either Cam Zerha or Nick Larkey who were like roommates. I heard one of them lost a bet and it's got the other one's initials on their ass or something. And neither of them have got any visible tattoos. There's no real any way for us to know did Collingwood have the most tattooed players playing on any one given day, things like that. Another one is uh, Selwood and how many times he's worn a bandage. We get that one. That one's come through at least 10 times, mm-hmm. I reckon. For the bandage one, I really think Brendan Goddard has got to be up there for wearing a bandage around his head. I swear he gets knocked in the head every second game and has a bandage around it. I'm not sure if you guys can yeah. back me up on this or not. Ben McAvoy <laughs> used to put one on to start the game, I reckon. He used to start with it, knowing he's going to get hit in the head. Probably Joel Selwood probably should start with one too. I've always suspected, because the blood rule does not count as a substitution, which of course nowadays are capped. And so you do get to sneak an extra rotation in with the blood rule. So I think Joel Selwood and Chris Scott have potentially concocted a way to get a marginal advantage over the league through deliberate blood ruling. I've got one for you guys. Just thinking back, you know the Buckley one not long ago? That about round 11, Geelong, etc. Yeah. Have no. you had any predictions this season come true? That was pretty close. 
because I think we said Buckley would get sacked after the John game and it was like game later, but then he did coach another one. I don't think I've ever got one right. Um, we do we do have one prediction that's currently correct. So at the start of the season, we came up with our Eustace AFL stats uh, ladder predictor that's where right. we tried to predict the ladder. So currently we have North Melbourne to get the wooden spoon. So they're well on track. Oh, um, we predicted that, did we? Yes, we did. We that did. Was, I've was, been keeping a close eye on it. That was outrageous by us to get that right. <laughs> exactly. But we also have Sydney in uh, 17th. So, oh. uh, well, you win you win some, you lose some. I think we had the Eagles down the bottom too somewhere. So. Yeah, outside of the eight. Very yeah. big call there. I think uh, I think that we might count as a fail. I don't think we can really claim North Melbourne being last. As... We can only, well, we can only the, wait. The AFA website does do um, an annual article called the crystal ball where they ask their experts to to weigh in with their predictions and and every um, so-called expert predicted north melbourne for the wooden spoon except for riley beverage who predicted adelaide so we're, we're ahead of riley beverage was david king on the experts list there no i think david king actually is an expert and hence is not really allowed to pretend to be one <laughs> exactly um i've got a good stat for you so how many games were there this round only five only five. Well, that's the least amount of games we've had in a round since 1994. Oh, wow. So if it felt like a short round, well, that's because it's historically low. So in uh, 1994, round six, there, only, uh, there were only four games in the round. And Wait. interestingly enough, there's never been five games in one round since 1965. Well, sometimes I bump into people and that they, they're like, oh, you run that useless Snowfield stats page or someone tells them I do it or whatever. And then they're like, oh, so how many games do you watch a week? And I'm, I'm normally, I think I normally watch around six. So I was below average this round. Only yeah, because, yeah. Only Everyone's average got dragged down. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't, I couldn't watch any more. Another question we got from Edward. Thanks for sending that question in. Most disposals going at 0% and the most disposals going at 100%. Oh, yes. Uh, I saw so that one. going for disposal efficiency. Up the top here, we have Grant Birchall, 32 disposals at 100% efficiency in 2012, round 20. So that's was that for, for the Hawks. For the Hawks, yeah. I think yeah. that was when they were in that chipping around phase in the back line. Mm-hmm, I was mm-hmm. corrected. But I'd, I bet, I'd like to bet that a lot of those were sideways or backwards kicks. And at the other end of the spectrum, we have Brandon Matera, eight disposals at 0% efficiency, <laughs> a record. I wonder how many of them were points. Was that for Gold Coast or for Fremantle? That's in 2020. That was his last year at Fremantle. Oh, yeah, only eight. Wow, eight I would have dis- thought. Yeah, that's that's the record. So if you get nine disposals or more, you're guaranteed to have at least one of them be effective. A good way to guarantee that you get an effective disposal is to kick the ball 40 metres. I don't. I think I think that might be stretching Brandon Matura's range. To sure, be surely a little uh, one metre handball will get you one. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I think what you're touching on is the... A kick is considered effective if it travels 40 metres to a contest, even if your team loses the contest. And so that's why players like Patrick Dangerfield can have distinctively good disposal efficiency because they tend to kick the ball 40 metres a lot. And whether or not it goes to the other team is an academic. It is considered effective. This one's coming from Alex. Thanks for sending it in. Uh, What's the highest scoring draw in AFL history? Does anyone know this off the top of their head? I think it's around 130 points. 134. Oh, you're uh, bang on. 132 points. Essendon, 20 goals, 12, 132 to Carlton, 19, 18, 132. Round two, 1993. I got asked about draws. There's been like 150 or 160 draws in in the history of the game. And I got asked a question about um, how many of those draws were actually exact score draws. 
Maybe we can we can check that one out for for next week. I feel like someone's going to message in asking for the lowest scoring draw, which is twenty eight plays twenty eight. Melbourne Carlton over one hundred and twenty years ago. The quarters were shorter in eighteen ninety eight. So. <laughs> I know um, Jack Noons has got record for the lowest score with a kick after the siren to win a game. That was another one that was against Frio. That happened last year. In remember that one out on the boundary? A couple of dodgy umpiring decisions got him the got him the kick. That was a that was a stat that uh, somehow got embedded into my brain when I was looking through all those uh, after the siren goal kickers. We might we might wrap it up there, boys. Thanks to everyone that did send in questions through our messages. If anyone's got any uh, useless stat requests, chuck them in there. We, we might answer them next podcast. If we don't, we'll probably answer them on the post. Appreciate all the support from everyone. Thanks to Steve and the crew here at TAFE for getting us going with our first podcast, hopefully the first of many, and Boom Radio, which is the studios we're out of. If you, if you do want to support the Useless AFL Stats team and you haven't already uh, given us a follow on Facebook, do that. Um, if you're watching through YouTube or, or through um, one of the podcast providers, make sure you uh, subscribe if you want to hear more content and we'll be back next week that's it for the show cheers boys thank you, thank you.